You see, the practice of silence and solitude is not one that you will have perfect on your first try. It's not intended to be a burden to add extra things to your plate, one more to-do list in your checkbox for the day. It's intended to be something that changes you. Well, you and I did not become who we are overnight. We're not gonna change overnight either. And so if you've been practicing this and it's really difficult and you really don't like it, there's really good news. Later on, not next week, but in a while, we're gonna talk about other practices that you could try instead that may be more for your speed. Or you could keep trying and maybe along the way, as we learn to be like Jesus, we'll actually begin to discover Jesus each and every day. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. Anybody else? My, my wife recently pointed out to me that uh, I have resting bummer face. Like I always look a little bit disappointed or sad. So if that's you, you're in the right place. We love you. And if I look today like I'm not happy, I am. It's such a joy to be here with you. Today we are continuing and finishing our conversation about silence and solitude. But before we do, let me just back up a little bit. We are, as Christians, followers of Christ. What that means is we seek in all of our life to orient ourselves towards Jesus, to become like him, to spend time with him, to learn to do the types of things he did. We spend all of our energy together as one people saying, how can we become more like Jesus and less like us? And so to do that, we have to look at what Jesus did. And one of the things Jesus did on a regular basis was he would take time from his busy schedule, and of all people to have a busy schedule, he certainly knew a thing or two about being kind of important. He would take time from all the demands of people saying, come and heal the sick and come and raise the dead and come and feed the hungry, all the demands of this world. And he'd set them aside and he'd go to be away in a quiet place, in a desolate, lonely place. He would time and time again leave the important stuff to go and sit by himself in silence. Any extroverts in here? Sounds terrible to me. Why would you leave the crowd and the people and the party and the excitement to sit by yourself in silence? Jesus knew something that I think in our busy, hurried world many of us have forgotten or maybe never been taught. He knew that you and I have limits, that we are incapable of doing all things, and we need time to recharge with God. 
Time for God to speak into our lives over the lies and the voices of this world, over the noise. Time for God to simply help us be still and know who he is. Time for us to experience God's love and presence that when we're worn out and drained and emotionally unstable, we can find rest for our weary souls. You and I need to take a break more often. So Jesus, he would retreat to these quiet places and he'd spend that time with his father. And almost every time when he came back from that time with his father, something significant happened in his life. And I believe that if you and I seek to live like Jesus and become like him, together we're gonna begin to connect those in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our, our workplaces, in our city who have no idea who Jesus is. We're gonna connect those people to this grace and this kindness and this love because they'll see in you and me something that's different from the whole world around us. And so we've been over the last several weeks talking about one practice of how we can spend time learning to be like Jesus. Now let's be honest, anybody in here six weeks in still like, I hate the idea of sitting alone. Anybody? Just two, three of us, myself included, all right. The rest of you introverts, congratulations, you're welcome. But for the three of us and those who didn't want to raise their hands, the idea, even six weeks in, of spending time alone exhausts me. Like, I'll be honest, I've been intentionally trying for the last several weeks to practice this habit. See, we define silence and solitude as the consistent and intentional time alone with God in silence. And still several weeks in, I find I sit down for my time alone with God and instead I think about what tomorrow's football game might look like or what yesterday's should have looked like. Or I think about the workload I haven't completed and all the stuff I wish was done or I think about all the things I did wrong that are just distracting me and I, I can't seem to shake them loose or I just think about literally anything other than God. If that's you, that's okay. You see, the practice of silence and solitude is not one that you will have perfect on your first try. It's not intended to be a burden to add extra things to your plate, one more to-do list in your checkbox for the day. It's intended to be something that changes you. Well, you and I did not become who we are overnight. We're not gonna change overnight either. And so if you've been practicing this and it's really difficult and you really don't like it, there's really good news. Later on, not next week, but in a while, we're gonna talk about other practices that you could try instead that may be more for your speed. Or you could keep trying and maybe along the way, as we learn to be like Jesus, we'll actually begin to discover Jesus each and every day. So today as we finish up, we're gonna talk about how do you make that time of silence and solitude the most fruitful? See, it's more than just learning to be in touch with your emotions and listening for what God is saying. It's actually about connecting with him on a deep and meaningful way. How do you make that time something that you don't just do as a chore, but a desire? Well, to do that, I believe we need to make that time something that is purposeful. And purposefully, it needs to be a time that is with God's word. Now, when we come to this word, let's be honest, how many of you find it really difficult to read this? Anybody find it boring? 
or confusing? Or you're like, why does this matter and what do I do with it? If you don't at least feel one of those things, you need to teach me a lot because I regularly find it all of those things. I often find reading the Bible super boring. I would rather read other things or other books or watch a movie. But not everything worth doing is going to be entertaining. Not everything worth doing is going to come naturally. And so I set out to read and study and learn because this isn't just an ordinary book. This is something so much more. Now, if you don't know much about this book, let me just tell you real quick. This book was written by approximately 35, maybe 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years. Anybody else have a book like that? It's a collection, not just of one book, but of several books and letters and poems, all written for different audiences and written for different purposes, intended to teach different things, and all written at least, or at the earliest, like 1,900 years ago. So some of them are much older than that. And now we have to come to this book written by different people across time and across history, almost 2,000 years old, so what do we do with it? What does it mean for us now? And oftentimes that's where we get hung up because as we read something that made sense to the audience they were writing, it's really confusing to us. And so sometimes when we approach studying the Bible, we study it from a perspective of this very academic, learned approach. I just need to learn all the details, all the facts. Let me know where those cities are so we look at maps and we look at old maps other people have drawn and and we compare them to modern day or maybe we look up names in, in history and say, who was this person in history? Maybe we study this book to learn all the literary features and the allegory and all the poems and what do all these things mean? But sometimes in that pursuit... This book just becomes a collection of good words, or at least wise words. We pick and choose the things we like, the stuff that makes sense, the stuff that comforts us, and we just dismiss the confusing stuff, like the lists of who begat who, right? Why does that matter? But this word is not just an ordinary text. See, we believe that those individual authors throughout history were inspired by God to write this word. Not that he spoke and they wrote literally the word for word what he spoke, but that he worked more subtly through them by the power of his spirit to inspire them to write for us, to reveal to us who God is. So if you come to this book seeking to have a good life, you're missing the point. If you come to this book seeking to have a great understanding of how the world works, you're missing the point. If you come to it seeking to know all the things you need to do to be good or bad or better than your neighbor or how to judge them correctly, you're missing the point. See, all of this book is supposed to point us to God, to be with him to experience all of his grace and his compassion, and at times when we need it, all of his really strict judgment. I mean, let's be fair. If we could just go willy-nilly, do whatever we want, and never be convicted, that would be a problem. 
I don't know what's in your heart or your mind, but I know what's in mine. And if I could do all the things I wanted to do and say all the things I wanted to say, you would certainly never want me up here and probably wouldn't want me around you at all. See, we believe that we are inherently broken people. But God is not a God coming to make us better people. He's not a God coming to take bad people and make them good. He's a God coming to take those who are dead in their own sin, those who can do nothing to fix their life and bring them back to life. Life that is not disconnected from him, but with him. Life that is filled with all of his comfort in times of need, all of his provision when you don't know where to turn, all of his reminder that he is for you, always. So we come to this word not as a studious academic study, though there's a time and a place for that. When we approach this word in our morning time or on our commute to work or at our lunch break or before bed, whenever we come before it, we come before it with the desire to say, God, who are you? What have you done? What are you doing? What will you do? And how do I simply follow the things you're already doing? How do I join in the work that you're about? And so we approach this book less academically and more relationally. God, I want to know you. Anybody ever been on a date before? Only a few of you. Wow. Even you married people haven't. We should fix that. If you've ever been on a date, did you ever sit down on a date with a list of questions? Well, first off, before we start dating, I would like to know exactly when you bought your first house. And before I even know anything else, I would like to know what you got for your 13th birthday. And like all these questions, right? If we approached dating with that kind of academic study, I need to know everything about you, I don't think any one of us would be married or certainly not happy. Now, the more we approach that relationship with the desire to get to know them, the more those questions naturally arise, the more that understanding of the other grows. But that's not our starting point. Our starting point is I just want relationship. So today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 119. If you know anything about this book, the book of Psalms are songs and poems written in praise and worship to God. And some of them are filled with praise and some of them are filled with pain and agony and misery. In Psalm 119, I promise you if you're nervous, we're not going to read the whole thing because it's the longest chapter in the Bible like 190 verses or something. You guys would hate me if I just sat here and read the, stood here and read the whole thing. But this is a psalm in the center of the Bible. Uh, it, it's a psalm all about God's word being spoken to us. Now on a very fun level, just in case you didn't know this, as you read through it and the Bible's in front of you or your own Bible, you may notice words that are totally foreign to you. That's because this psalm was written like a poem and so every little stanza, was, or all the, the first words of that stanza started with the Hebrew letter. Specifically, they would go through the entire, this goes through the entire Hebrew alphabet with little sections of poetry starting with those letters. So like right here at the beginning, it starts with an olive. Anybody know what that is? I didn't think so. It's the Hebrew letter A. And then comes Beth, which is the Hebrew letter B. And so it goes through the whole Hebrew alphabet in poetic form. And it's all centered on describing God's word for us. 
So here we're going to begin in verse 1. If you're following along, it's page 642 in those blue Bibles, all right? Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, in case you don't know this, the law of the Lord is often throughout Scripture, throughout this book, a phrase to describe God's word, the things God does, the way he teaches, and the way he works. The law of the Lord is everything God intends for his creation. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Right off the bat, I have to ask, if those who do no wrong are blessed, what about those like myself who do a lot of wrong? Where's the blessing for me? You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Before we continue, I just have to ask, does anybody approach the Bible with that kind of an attitude? God, I will do whatever it says, no matter what. Who's in? Sometimes it says some really uncomfortable things. Sometimes it asks of us stuff that I'm not necessarily able or willing to give. Like when it talks about giving everything you have to serve the hungry and the poor, I'm not always comfortable with that. Or when it talks about maybe giving up your anger or your temptation or your drunkenness or your sexual immorality, and you go, but I don't know how to change these things. The psalm continues, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. See, the truth is we will always be tempted to go astray. We'll always be tempted to do things that bring us pain or pain to the people we care about or even more, we'll certainly be tempted to do things that bring pain to people we don't care about. It's really easy to curse our enemies. It's super difficult to love them. How can we keep our way pure? By guarding it according to this word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This psalm begins with this regular reminder. In fact, if you read through all 190-some verses, you're going to constantly see this theme over and over again. How do we know which way to walk? We turn back to the Word. How do we know what God has for us? We turn back to His Word. How do we know who He is in our time of need? We turn back to His Word. In fact, some of the stanzas in this poem, they're all about, in my time of trouble... Your word delivered me. In my time of hurt, you comforted me. Time and time again, his word is our source of strength and life. 
It says elsewhere in scripture that this word is a living and active word, sharper than a two-edged sword, that it can pierce to the deepest parts of who we are. This word is not just academic that we study and memorize and know. No, it should transform us. And so when we seek to set time apart in silence and solitude, if we do that with no guide and no place to turn, we're going to end up hearing all kinds of bizarre things, like what I want to have for lunch today, or like maybe you're hearing things you're doing that you can dismiss because other people are doing worse things. Who does it hurt? It's not really that bad. When we set out in silence to be with God without his word, we will always miss God. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, nothing about our own ability to listen for him will ever reveal him if we're not first centered here. The psalmist, he repeatedly says, I've stored up your word in my heart. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Anybody guilty of Google searching the Bible? Like, you're having a bad day, so you just get on your your great and glorious theological dictionary of Google and say, Bible verses about hope. And then you find one or two verses about hope, and it'll be okay now. If you're not guilty of that, it works. You're welcome, all right? I spend a lot of time on Google searching things in the Bible because we live in an age where instead of having to search word for word through everything here, There's a computer that'll search it for me. And that's a great blessing. But it's also sometimes a big curse. Because in many cases, we can begin to rely more on our Google search and less on actually being in the Word. Spending time reading and praying and studying and delighting in God's very Word to us. And then we can pick and choose the verses that fit our current need and leave all the rest alone. It doesn't matter the context or the the meaning or the intent, just matters what I make of them. I will delight in your statutes, I will not forget your word. A little bit later, okay, a lot of bit later because this just keeps going. In verse 97, oh, how I love your law. Anybody excited? Like, I can't wait to read Leviticus. I just can't wait to read about the Ten Commandments and how perfect I'm not. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your precepts I get, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet the light to my path. I'm sure many of you have probably heard that last part, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet because we plaster it on, on signs and things you can hang in your house and we make it cute. But how often does it settle into our life? No, your word is actually the thing that guides me. 
And when I'm struggling with doing what is right, when I really want to do what is wrong, when I want to speak ill of my boss or the person who cut me off in traffic, do I turn first to this and say, God, I want to say the worst things and give them a handshake or a wave that doesn't use all my fingers? When we have this attitude like that, do we run to God's word and say, help me be different? Help me trust you? Help me be like you? Oh, how I love your law. I love this little section of Psalm 119 because he goes on and on about how he seems to get it all right. I don't turn my feet aside. I don't go astray. And yet, he's pretty clear throughout the rest of this that he often does. See, there's no measure of being in the word that's gonna make you perfect. It's not supposed to. There's no measure of reading enough or memorizing enough that's gonna prevent you from stumbling and falling. In fact, the only one who can sing or recite this psalm truthfully is Jesus himself. And John describes Jesus as the word of God made flesh. Jesus is all of this revelation put into a body that we could meet with him and touch him and feel him. And 2,000 years later, come to communion and receive his body and blood. We, we can have Jesus physically with us as we read these words and meditate on them day and night. And then when we're trying to say, where are you, God? What are you doing? We can hear him speak the answer here. No, we won't get it right, but he will, and we can trust in that. And so to help us in our practice of silence and solitude, uh, I want to share with you a practice that has been for about 1,600 years used by the church, right? So well before my time and almost well before Vicar Adams' time, all right? For about 14 or 1,600 years, the church has used a practice called Lectio Divina, and that's Latin for something very simple, divine reading. How do we read the Bible in a way that we encounter God when we read it? How do we study this word in a way that is meaningful beyond just now I know some facts about the Bible? If you've been following along with the Connect Group content, there's going to be a whole lot more specific about this practice on there um, tomorrow for you to follow along with and practice this week. But this practice of learning to meditate on God's word is a practice of changing the way we act, the way we approach his word to do it differently. It's not the only meditative practice, it's just one of them. And it can be really helpful. If you only have five or 10 minutes to sit and be in the Word, you can take five or 10 minutes to do this. If you have a whole hour, I'm impressed. Uh, it's rare that I have a whole hour at one time, but usually it's more like 20 minutes here and three minutes there and two minutes later, and that's just as okay too. But here's how this practice works. First, if you want to practice this and you want to grow to appreciate and understand God's word in a way that it is living and active, first you have to prepare yourself to meet with God. And here's what I mean by that. It's probably going to be really, really difficult to connect with God and his word when your phone is, is pinging you with all these notifications. And it's probably going to be really, really difficult to connect with God and his word when you only had two hours of sleep last night and now you're trying to force yourself to get up and spend time with him when you're already too tired to get out of bed. H have you ever been there? I've been there all the time. 
And so if you want this word to be living and active, it might require you to change the way you approach it. Put your phone in a different room. Maybe you need to get out of bed instead of trying to do it in your bed and find a specific chair that you can sit, one that's comfortable enough you can enjoy, but not too comfortable you're going to fall asleep, right? Maybe you need to intentionally light some candles so the space feels different. Prepare to meet with God. After you prepare to meet with God, then you need to begin reading. And I would suggest if you're going to do this, don't try to read the whole book of Genesis in one sitting. Maybe not even a couple of chapters. Pick one chapter or a handful of verses and read it. And I would recommend in this practice, especially as you learn it, read it out loud. Because when you say the words, they sound very different. And I know there's words that you're like, I don't know how to pronounce that. If you're sitting by yourself in silence and alone, who cares if you pronounce it wrong? Nobody else will know, right? Pronounce it however you want, and that's correct. Read it out loud. See what happens. Read it not just one time through. Read it two or three or four times through. Which is why picking a smaller section of scripture to read through multiple times can be helpful. As you read through it, pay attention. What word stands out to you? What phrase catches you? Maybe it catches you like, oh, that's really great. Or maybe you just go, why would he say that? So you first you read it a couple of times. Then you reflect on it. And you go back through, you spend some time in that silence and you think about the words you just read out loud that you heard with your ears, that you spoke with your mouth, that you saw with your eyes. You think about what does this show me about God? What does it show me about myself or about others? Is there anything I need to do differently or I need to begin thinking differently or believing differently because of this? Is there anything maybe I need to feel that I'm not feeling? Like I should feel a love for my enemies, but instead I want to curse them. Why? So you read it, you reflect on it, and then you respond to it. This can be prayer, this can be journaling, this can be actually talking out loud to yourself. It's not crazy when God's in the room. Okay? Respond to it. Because of what I just read, what I just reflected on, what changes? Maybe you're not ready for anything to change. Be honest with God. God, I read, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. But to be honest, your word bores me. And to be honest, sometimes purity does too. Like honoring you with my thoughts and my mind and my body and everything. I don't know that I'm really into that. Be honest with God. That's okay. So you read and then you reflect and then you respond. And then the best part, just learn to rest. See, we live in a world that tells us over and over again to do more. Be better. Fix it. And often we approach scripture the same way. I just need to get through this morning's devotion. I just have to read these chapters because I signed up for that read the Bible in a year plan and I never finish it and this will be the year, right? No. Just read some scripture, reflect on it, respond to it, and then just rest. Sit in silence and ask God, God, is there anything you're teaching me about yourself that I haven't been listening to? Or maybe, 
God, I'm so busy that this time with you is the only time I have for 30 seconds to go. So enjoy that 30 seconds. Rest in it. This practice is something that for 1,600 years the church has said this is one way that we can make God's word come alive and be no longer scholarly but personal and meaningful. And I think in our silence and solitude and our commitment to taking up a new practice in exchange for something else, this will help us experience God's goodness and grace and kindness every day. So it is my hope and my prayer that each one of us can learn that God's word is truly a delight and it really does bring joy. And the times when it's boring, that's okay. Keep pressing in anyway. Change how you approach it, change when you approach it, maybe even change where you approach it. Certainly through God's word, he will make himself known to you and to me. And I promise that'll be worth it. So I want to encourage you this week, take five minutes, a minute for each of these, a minute to prepare your space, a minute to read his word, so probably like one verse or two verses, and just sit. See what happens. If you have more than five minutes, take 10, take 20. Whatever you have in your current schedule, make room to do this. See what God says. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that though we cannot fulfill your law, you have. That though our hearts often don't desire your word or delight in your word, your word is still actively moving and reaching out and seeking in us to transform us. God, we ask that you would give us a willingness this week to spend time reflecting on your word, practicing being with you, listening to you, experiencing your goodness. God, as we connect with you through this practice, we ask that you would help us just to love our neighbors a little bit better. Not necessarily in doing more things for them or with them, but at least in thinking about them more. Praying and asking you to do good things for them. God, I ask that as you change us through this time with you, that we would look different in this world for others to see how great you are, how much you love. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to continue our worship by collecting an offering. If you came prepared today to give, you can give online at thepointknox.com or you can give in cash and check with the popcorn buckets that I now am noticing are not in the back, so maybe you can't do that today. If you came, actually, I'll get those buckets here in a moment. Uh, but if you came prepared, Adam, would you mind grabbing a bucket for me? Even after I made a bad joke at your expense? Please forgive me. Uh, they're not back there. I think they're actually back here in the closet. Thanks, Adam. The people who normally get them out are sick today. So let's be praying for Sarah and Jody because I forgot all about them until this moment. And that just makes it awkward. So if you prefer to give cash and check, They'll be back there in a moment, uh, and when, we, when you leave today, feel free to put your cash or check in there, or your Connect card, if you filled one out, put it in there so we can pray for you, connect with you, and just love you throughout the week. However you give and whatever you give, know this, it's not to get God's love, but because you already have it. Thanks. 
So this is the part of service where we get to have some questions from you, and I'll do my best to respond. Um, was there anything that's come in this week? Four uh, questions, all pretty heavy, so I want to make sure you're ready. Okay. Okay. So the first question that came in says, do you think watching things about the devil, like possession, or things like that, invites the devil into your house? Does it give him a way in? Ooh, uh... The really short answer is yes. I think the things that we watch change the way we think and change the things we're listening to and it's a lot harder to experience God's love when we surround ourselves with a lot of hate. And so um, we do need to be careful what we watch and what we read and what we do. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Next question is, is it our duty as Christians to reproduce in order to grow the body of Christ? Oh, uh, sort of, sort of not. So here's where I think this is coming from. In Genesis, uh, God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And throughout history, that's often been used as a command. If you're not making babies, you're sinning. And it's also been such a way that we put pressure on young couples, like you need to make babies right away. You should have as many of them as possible. And um, is it true that we should make babies? Well, kids are a gift. They're a blessing. Some they're, days. They're exhausting. <laughs> Some days I want to give them back, but I can't, right? But other days, they're a real joy. And it's true that if we don't have babies, the world's going to stop having people. Like, it's just simple math. So yes, we should have babies, and children are the best and easiest opportunity for discipleship because you get to spend a lot of time with them and, and care for them, and you get to model for them what it looks like to follow Jesus, including to confess and say, I screwed up and I shouldn't have done that. Um, at the same time, some of this burden for we have to multiply uh, unhealthily puts people who've had miscarriages or struggle with infertility or who are single but they want to be married, puts them in this place of feeling like they're failing God because they can't quite get it together. And so I want you to hear, like if you don't have kids because you're single or because you can't or because you've tried and it, it, it's ended in a lot of pain, you are not failing God or anything less than what he created you to be. And the pain of infertility and losing a child is really terrible. And sometimes even the pain of being single when you don't want to be is really tough. Um, don't bear that pain alone. We love you and we care about you. Yeah, well said. Uh, the next question says, why do we not take communion anymore? We do, the first and third uh, Sunday of the month. Yeah, I know we do because last week you trusted me to prepare it in the back. You did great. Oh, I spilled it in the back and then I slammed myself with that door and I spilled it again, so... Welcome. I'm That's sorry. That's why we have red carpet. It blends yeah, in. You're fine. Yeah. Please don't fire me. You're good. Uh, uh, so the last question is a heavy one. It says, do you believe that it's sinful to be LGBTQ? That's a great question. Uh, and I'm going to pick up on two words, to be LGBT. No, it's not sinful to be a certain way. Uh, yes, there's a reality in Scripture that it's really difficult. What do you do with that? But the truth is every single one of us is sexually immoral. And it's not just something we want, it's part of who we are. We are all broken and so every one of us has to choose to submit ourselves to the will of Jesus. And I just a couple weeks ago went to a conference. I didn't get to go to the actual one, but there was a church in town that was live streaming it and I joined them. 
And it was a conference of LGBT plus minorities who are Christian, who are choosing, not being forced to, but they're choosing to submit to scripture. And they, the whole conference was them talking about how do you live faithfully to Christ as a gay or lesbian or queer or trans individual. And it was phenomenal. I learned a lot of really good stuff, uh, encouraging stuff. And so if you are in the, one of the sexual minority groups uh, and you're struggling, how does this fit with my faith or what do I do? I promise I will gladly sit down with you and I'm not gonna come with judgment. We're all broken and hurting and I will gladly share with you uh, some hope and some comfort. How do you follow Jesus with this and what does that look like? So one more question came in as we were standing here. It says, my dad believes since he is a Christian, he will go to heaven, but does it matter? Does it matter that he goes to heaven or that he's a Christian? I, I took it to mean that he's a Christian. Yeah. Um, the only way to life everlasting is through Jesus, and that's not exclusive. Everybody is welcome. That's not saying you can't come in, but the truth is none of us can raise ourselves from the dead, but he could. So if he has the power to conquer death, we should probably listen to him. So yes, it matters that he's a Christian, and uh, I think our goal of heaven is a little misbased. I, I see it more uh, earth becoming like heaven, where heaven comes down to earth and God restores everything that is broken here, Amen. which will be pretty awesome when that day comes. Anything else? Those are all the questions. Cool. Thank you, Adam. Uh, thank you first and foremost for jumping in and helping out, and then for being up here and not spilling communion today. Thank you. Uh, real quick, next week we have something special that I don't think we've ever had before. Uh, next week we're going to have a guest pastor, uh, a pastor in Wartburg, Tennessee. He's going to be here sharing. Uh, and the reason it's kind of special is part of the way the Lutheran Church works is we recognize as pastors, sometimes you run into questions you don't have answers to, challenges you don't know what to do, even emotional burdens where I can't and I won't share the pain you're going through with somebody else, but what do I do with the, the pain that puts on my shoulders? And so the guy who's coming next week, his name is David, and he serves in this role of kind of being a pastor to the pastors while also pastoring a church himself. It's an added burden that was given to him that he's doing really well. And he asked, can I come and just share with the congregation about uh, some of the joy and the goodness that can come from all of our churches partnering together and working together and recognizing that it's not just about whoever's here in this space or joining us online, but it's, it's about so much more. And so I think he's gonna be really encouraging and I think it's gonna be really great. I invite all the tough questions for him next week. Uh, he's actually kind of excited for that and I'm a little nervous for his answers. It should be great. Um, but I say that because the way he worships in his congregation looks a little more traditional and formal than ours. And so he agreed to meet us in the middle and it's gonna look like we do normally except he's choosing to put on a clerical collar. So if that makes you super uncomfortable and you have questions, text them in and we'll respond to them, okay? Otherwise, I'm excited, I think it's gonna be great and I hope you join us. With that, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace, amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, 
simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.